Radio. Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. O Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for all the ways you bless us with gifts. We thank you for the wonderful gift you have given us through the Holy Rosary. This beautiful prayer that you call us to enter deeply into through both prayer and meditation so that your life and the gospel stories can deeply touch our hearts so that we can come to realize how much you really love us and how much you want us to respond to that love. So Lord Jesus, send your spirit to be with us now so that we may be able to enter into these beautiful mysteries. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So welcome back to part two of the Holy Rosary. Let's look now at the mysteries of the Rosary. We've had hundreds and hundreds of years. We've had basically three mysteries of the Rosary. A mystery of the Rosary consists of five decades. Each decade consists of one Our Father, ten Hail Marys and one Glory Be. And since Fatima... Our Lady has asked us to add a little prayer, sometimes called the Fatima prayer, at the end of each decade, the Oh My Jesus prayer. So you'll find many people will incorporate that in, into their rosary. We have the joyful mysteries. We have the glorious mysteries. We have the sorrowful mysteries. And as of 2003, we have the luminous mysteries. The Luminous Mysteries really just kind of filled in some of those parts of Jesus' life that were not covered in the Rosary. So it kind of makes the Rosary uh, complete. You can understand why the Holy Spirit led Pope John Paul to include those Mysteries of the Rosary. So let's just now, very briefly, just take each Mystery of the Rosary and just see what is being asked of us in each of these. The first joyful mystery is the Annunciation. This is where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and asks her, would she be the mother of God? And the key part in this mystery is Mary's yes, what we call her fiat. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. Mary's complete yes to God, a surrender 
a surrender that comes out of trust. Even though there are lots of things that perhaps unanswered questions in some ways, still some what if, what out, what are people going to think if I'm pregnant, not married and all this. There were so many things, but she comes in humility. She comes in trust, abandonment, obedience, trust in the promise to be fulfilled, and she gives herself to the Father by her yes. These are just simple concepts, but really, really rich. This is why you can spend a lifetime meditating on these things, because as our own journey evolves in life, so different things come up and call us at certain times in our lives to trust more, or to abandon more, or to be a recommit more. Say that yes, and say not just okay, but say yes and mean it from the heart. So these are the kind of things where the, the power of the rosary can really help us in our day-to-day -day journey. Our second joyful mystery is the visitation. Mary comes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. You could easily think that, well, Mary's been told she's going to be the mother of God. You could easily think she'd say, send a message to Elizabeth to tell her to come and visit me. <laughs> but no, it's the other way round. She comes. She humble. She comes. And what does she do? She brings Jesus. That's what she does to all of us. She brings Jesus to us. And we see that when Elizabeth greets Mary. And she spends time there. And she stays with her until Elizabeth has her own baby. So there's a sense of service there, of charity. The third joyful mystery is the birth of our Lord. And there we see Jesus the creator of the universe, the second person, he becomes incarnate, he becomes man, he comes as a little helpless child. He comes and is born in a stable. Look at the humility of our God. It should just blow our mind. There's just so much to reflect on that. The King of Kings, the Lord of all creation, comes as a little baby, born in a stable, born in a cave with the animals, could not even get room at the inn. So we see Mary accepting this, opening her heart to this and understanding these deeper mysteries and the beauty of the poverty and all of this. And then Jesus is presented in the temple in the fourth joyful mystery. And that's what Mary does with us. She presents us to the Father. That's why Marian consecration is so important. And we'll talk, we'll do a whole session on Marian consecration later. She comes and she presents Jesus to the Father. And she comes and we can tell by the gifts that she brought in the temple that she was very poor. Poor in material things, but rich in spiritual things. And telling us our priorities the spiritual and then the fifth joyful mystery the finding of the child Jesus there's great joy when we find Jesus and we often find him in the unexpected or when things happen that we don't plan like Jesus goes missing Mary thinks what on earth's happening but where does she find him she finds him in the church in the temple doing the Father's will. She finds him in the temple doing 
the Father's will. So if we want to find Jesus, we find him within the church, within the structure of the church, and we live out the Father's will, that's also where we'll find him. Then we have the sorrowful mysteries. And of course the sorrowful mysteries reflect on the passion and death of our Lord. And they're very powerful and very good to pray when we are suffering. Because there is not one suffering that we could be asked to endure that Jesus did not first endure. And these sufferings were physical, spiritual and emotional sufferings. And suffering is one of the hardest things to make sense of in life. But somehow by uniting our sufferings with Jesus, they become bearable. They become not only bearable, but they become a source of healing, a source of renewal, and a source of grace for ourselves and for the world. So there's something very, very powerful in this. And remember when we're meditating on the sorrowful mysteries, in fact all the mysteries, always come back to how is God showing us how much he loves us. And we see this profoundly in the sorrowful mysteries. We see in the sorrowful mysteries what it means to be a suffering servant. You know, Jesus had the pain of knowing that the suffering he was going to endure would in fact save many people, but he also had to endure the pain of knowing that for many people his suffering would be in vain and they still would be lost. And that must have been terrible, terrible pain for Jesus. Imagine if you were in that position and you were about to lay down your life for someone to give them the grace to save them, yet you knew that they were going to reject it and choose not to be saved, to be lost. And if you love that person so much, imagine the pain. That's what Jesus felt. And Jesus felt so much pain in his physical body but because Jesus loved so much, because he did all of this out of love, the idea that souls could still be lost through their own choice is a terrible suffering to the heart of Jesus. And if you look at the devotion of the Sacred Heart and the Divine Mercy devotion, where Jesus reveals a lot of these beautiful mysteries about how profound his love is, it helps us to understand and it calls us to say, well, let's not be one of those who is going to be a, a thorn in the heart of Jesus. Let's respond to this incredible grace that has been given to us at a huge cost. A huge cost. In Jesus' passion, in, in the, all of the sorrowful mysteries, he experienced loneliness, abandonment, betrayal, false accusations, blasphemy, mockery, insults, denial by the apostles, humiliations, indignities. All these are reflected in the sorrowful mysteries. And what keeps Jesus going in all of this? His love for us. His love for us.
the sorrowful mysteries, we know them well. The agony of our Lord in the garden. The scourging at the pillar. The crowning of thorns. The carrying of the cross. And finally, the crucifixion and death of our Lord. But of course, the cross with Jesus is always linked with resurrection. You cannot separate them. And so those who carry the cross of Jesus experience the resurrection of Jesus. And that resurrection gives us hope. It's the fruits of being faithful. And resurrection is not only in the next life, but in this life. Every cross embraced with Jesus in this life can bring about a resurrection. And not just in the next life, but in this life too. Somehow the pieces fit together. Somehow in looking back on that painful trial of your life, you're able to see graces in there. You're able to make a bit more sense of it, more meaning. may not have all the answers, but somehow as, the, as time goes past and prayer and reflection, you can see God's work in all of this, bringing about a greater good. Because that's what God does so well. He can bring out a good from a tragedy. And what could be more tragic than the Son of God being crucified and nailed to a tree? Out of that comes victory for the whole human race. So this is where we need to pray. We need to trust when everything seems to be going wrong. We just keep hanging in there and we keep praying. And the Holy Spirit starts to slowly by slowly enlighten us about our trial period. How in fact it's a great grace. So it's the wonderful thing. Resurrection always follows the cross for those who unite their sufferings with Jesus. You know, there was a time in my life when I was trying to avoid crosses and, and sorrows in life, but I soon learned there is no such thing as getting through life without sorrows or crosses. The big question is, whose cross are you going to embrace? If you embrace the cross of Satan, as though to speak, there is no resurrection. There's just misery and suffering. But if you embrace the cross of Jesus, guaranteed resurrection, guaranteed hope, guaranteed new life, guaranteed renewal and healing. And so this is the beauty of our faith. And this is why the mysteries of the rosary are so powerful. Brings this alive for us. Brings it alive. So those beautiful, glorious mysteries... The resurrection of our Lord, the ascension of our Lord into heaven, bodily in heaven, the descent of the Holy Spirit. Interesting, Mary is in all of these, right? She was there at the foot of the cross. She was there at his resurrection. As John Paul says, even though scripture does not mention that, it's very probable to conclude that Jesus would have appeared to his mother before anyone else would have appeared to her privately. The ascension of our Lord into heaven, obviously she would have been there. And ascent of the Holy Spirit, scripture tells us that she was there in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came down. Out comes this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in abundance. The apostles no longer afraid. They go out and they proclaim and the church is born on Pentecost Sunday. And then the fourth glorious mystery, the assumption of Our Lady into heaven. It's a dogma of the church that Our Lady was assumed into heaven, body and soul. 
and uh, she gets in advance what hopefully we will all experience at the end of time. And then the fifth glorious mystery is her coronation, her queenship. These series of talks are called our queen and our mother, and it's acknowledging that queenship, that she is in fact given this beautiful privilege. And as our queen and our mother, she guides us, she leads us, and her aim is to bring all her children to heaven to experience the love and the joy that awaits us there for all eternity. So beautiful mysteries, those three beautiful mysteries which we've had for so long now. But then, as I mentioned, in 2003, John Paul gave us the luminous mysteries. And really, the luminous mysteries call us to go into a deeper discipleship. And they meditate on key events of the life of Jesus. The first luminous mystery is the baptism of Jesus. Now, in the baptism, we're given sonship of God. We become children of God in our baptism. So Jesus allows himself to be baptized to really show the importance, even though he didn't need to be baptized, he shows the importance of that baptism bringing us into sonship. And we unite ourselves with Christ. We see the humility of Jesus in coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. And uh, we also see, and this is celebrated in a big way in the Eastern churches, the concept that for the first time in Scripture, we have the Trinity revealed. So we have Jesus, second person of the Blessed Trinity. We have the Father. We have the voice from heaven. This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. And then the dove, which represents the Holy Spirit, appears. Because we know at baptism there's a huge outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So here we see the Trinity for the first time revealed in Scripture. That's a really key point, as you can imagine. The second luminous mystery is the miracle at the wedding feast at Cana. And we mentioned this elsewhere when we looked at Mary in Scripture, that this is an important part because Mary, through her intercession, we see Jesus begins his public life by saying, Yes, to his mother. It's a beautiful story. We've heard it many times. And that wonderful line that Mary says, Do whatever he tells you, calling us to be faithful. The third luminous mystery then is the proclamation of the kingdom. We need to be reminding ourselves that we need to repent and believe. The first message of the gospel is to repent and believe. And then we go out and we proclaim this to the world. There are key parts for conversion. If we want to be a, a Christian, we have to embrace this conversion by repenting and believing in Jesus. The fourth luminous mystery is the transfiguration. Here we see the divinity of Jesus revealed on Mount Tabor. The apostles are taken back. They're a bit overcome by the experience. But you can imagine what it must have been like for them later when they reflected on this. This must have given them a lot of strength in times of difficulties later to be able to call back and say, I've seen the divinity of Jesus. I saw it on the mountain. And to be able to talk about that. Remember Jesus said to them not to talk about that until after the resurrection. 
because the apostles really couldn't draw on that grace really until Pentecost because it wasn't long later that even though Peter witnessed this transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain, he would deny him. So we always need grace upon grace to, to bring out the fruits. And then the fifth luminous mystery is the institution of the Eucharist. And of course this is huge in our Catholic tradition. The Eucharist is the source and summit of our Christian life. With Jesus, he's going to leave us, but what does he do? He gives us his own body and blood in the Eucharist to stay with us. And every day, Jesus' body and blood is made present on altars through all the churches of the world every day. And it's an incredible source of grace for us to connect with and to make available ourselves to this incredible grace. And in the institution of the Eucharist, we see the total gift of self. Jesus gives himself. He wants to be all for us, and he can be, through the bread of life, the source for every need and for every moment in our life. The total provision for our whole journey is in this one gift the living bread for our journey of discipleship. So our reflection on these mysteries of light should draw us to praise and thanksgiving for all the gifts the Father has given us, the sacraments of baptism, reconciliation, marriage and the Eucharist. These luminous mysteries cover all these dimensions so beautifully. So that's it on our sessions for the Holy Rosary. I hope you have enjoyed them and I hope that you will be able to enter into the Rosary in a new and inspired way and really begin to experience the fruits that so many people who give their testimony with us on our Queen, Our Mother, talk about the power of the Rosary. I hope that the Rosary for you too will become a powerful way that you deepen your relationship with Jesus and Mary. So thank you very much. Please don't go away because we'll be back in just a moment and have our special guest today who will be sharing something of their own journey in the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So welcome back to our Queen, our Mother. Today's guest is Desma Jama. Desma is a mother of three who is passionate about the spiritual care of priests and religious through prayer support. She's been actively involved in the Salesian community and has in past years been a volunteer worker for Father Chris Riley's Youth Off the Streets program. And I have Desma on the line with us now. Welcome to the program, Desma. Thank you, Paul. Desma, tell us something, please, about the work that you do and how your love for Mary has assisted you in doing this work. Well, my second name is Mary. So I guess I was consecrated at birth to Our Lady and she has looked after me ever since. 
I believe that every now and then we get messages from heaven guiding us along the path of God's will. My mother, who died when I was born, was born herself on the feast of St. John Bosco, which is the 31st of January. So I guess my path to being a member of the Salesian family as a member of the Third Order may have begun then because people say to me, your little mother is looking after you. They've often said that. The main function of the Salesian work is fostering youth. Don Bosco worked for youth the whole of his adult life and it's as a Salesian that I spent 11 years as a volunteer with Father Riley's Youth Off the Streets. So I haven't been able to go there for a couple of years as other things have kept me busy, but I fully intend to return there as soon as I'm able. My patron saint is St. Therese of Lidia, who, under the guidance of her aunt, developed a great devotion to St. Francis de Sales, who was the inspiration behind Don Bosco naming his Salesian order. Don Bosco himself had a great devotion to Mary, even naming her under the title of Mary Help of Christians as a patroness of the Salesians. And as she's also the patroness of Australia, we have a double whammy. So hence devotion to Mary is a huge part of Salesian spirituality. Desma, I know you're very keen to support priests and you have such an appreciation for the difficulties that our priests face today. How do you see devotion to Mary as being something of value that can offer priests and religious who have to face these challenges of their vocation? Well, Mary looks on the priests as her beloved sons. We've, we've read that more than once. You've only got to go to um, the Marian movement of priests and the Divine Mercy. The books to my beloved sons and all about my beloved sons and how often do we hear of sons having a close relationship with their mother? How often do we turn to our own mother for support and encouragement when facing life's challenges and insecurities and uncertainties? In our secular world, I believe there is just so much spiritual battering, and I believe that in God's spiritual warfare, once a man is ordained to the priesthood, he's elevated to the front line. But we as members of the laity, should be right behind them and right beside them. Because vocations, I believe, are the responsibility of all members of the church, not just the professed and ordained. Pope John Paul had a great devotion to Mary. And I quote him when I say that the responsibility of fostering vocations falls on the whole Christian community. We desperately need the help of a mother who is there to protect us. And I see the priests and religious as being in that same situation. Yes, it reminds me of a, of a quote I heard recently that there's no such thing as bad priests, only priests that haven't been prayed for. So I think that locks in with what you're saying. It really helps to bring the responsibility. Instead of sitting on the sideline criticising, we need to realise that much of it is our responsibility to support them through prayer where we can. Yes, it does throw the responsibility back onto us and I think um, it just makes sense for us all to be there together. They are there leading us, but we are there with them as well. And I think it's a great quote, there's no such thing as a bad priest, just a priest who hasn't been prayed for. It just really brings it home to us, doesn't it, that 
We really do need to pray for them. And, and brothers and sisters as well. I just think that they are there giving their lives for us and we should be there helping them as well. Desma, there would be many parents listening to us out there at the moment who worry about their children's faith. As a mother of three, tell us something about how you coped with those challenges and could you comment on how you see the role of consecrating your children to Mary as being something helpful? Well, Paul, I'd have to say that my faith strengthened a lot when my children became teenagers. That's for sure. You know, you you just realise that, wow, as they were children, you controlled a lot of what they did. But as they grow older, you know that you just can't do that anymore. But sometimes we can use our experiences in the secular world to help us in the spiritual world. Let's just take a little analogy. If when we were children, we were playing in the backyard with our siblings and one of them was doing something that involved an end result that wasn't going to be beneficial to them or or would do them harm, would we try to change their mind knowing that they wouldn't take any notice at all? Would we tell the next door neighbour who is not going to be at all affected by the outcome would we tell the people down the street who don't even know us? Or would we go and tell mum? What would get the best result? Mm. The most natural thing to do is to go and tell mum, isn't it? And Mary is our mother and she's always there. So every day I consecrate myself, my husband and my three children to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus, Mary's son and our Redeemer, always asking as well for the intercession of St. Joseph, the watchful guardian of the family. Mary has said that when a soul is consecrated to her, she will not let that soul go. What could be better than giving our children to our Blessed Mother? She can do so much more than we can, and she's the best mother of all. So the best thing we can do is let her look after the children and stop worrying. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to come easy because it won't. When we have read a child from birth to adult life, it just is, is so difficult to stand back and let them go. It's difficult to keep our own heads while they are finding theirs. I just think the sad moments when we're sitting in the church at Mass each week on our own, it is hard to not be sad. It is hard to not be concerned for them. But it doesn't matter how grim and how stressful and how worrying things can be. It's not going to change anything. And sometimes when we try to take control, we can actually get in God's way mm-hmm. and in Our Lady's way as a result. And I fully believe that the best thing that we can do is hand them over. The chain of a mother's prayers links her children to God. So we need to consecrate them and just let Mary take over. And that is the most simple and the most beautiful most wonderful thing that we can do for our children. 
So what you're saying, Desmar, is, okay, there's this consecration prayer, but then the actual, what could I say, the tough bit for the mum or the dad is actually to sort of let go and not interfere, but to actually trust that Mary will guide them and not try and control the situation. Is that what you're saying? That's right. That's right. Hand them over. They were God's children before they were ours. And sometimes I've done talks on motherhood. And in those talks, I've shared with people the fact that I believe as they were God's children first before they were mine, I can compare myself to a babysitter who who comes along looks after the children until the parents come for them. And if that's the case, then who are the parents? Our Lady is their mother as well as ours. And she's waiting for us to hand them over. She's waiting for us to ask her to guide them. And when they became teenagers, my children, I realised that, you know, I'm just like St. Therese is, the little flower, the little one. And I just can't do that on my own. I've got to have the help of Our Lady. I've got to have the help of Jesus and the watchful guardian of the family, St. Joseph. Mary is our mother, and that's just the most beautiful thing we can do for our children is just hand them over. Sounds like, Desma, you've really embraced that whole understanding of the communion of saints and the, the way you bring Joseph into this. It's very beautiful. It's a matter of, you know, we love our children. We want to do the best for them. Mm. What is the best for them? It it doesn't mean that you don't worry about them. Of course we worry about them. We love them. And, And as a mother, we go by the experience. How many times have we heard when you've had a child, it's your own heart running around on, on little legs, you know? <laughs> well, that's how Mary feels about us. I can't stress that enough, how beautiful and how simple it is to just let them go, let Our Lady look after them. That's beautiful, Desmond. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. So that brings us to the end of our session today. Please join us next time on Our Queen, Our Mother, when we explore the whole topic of the graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Radio.org.au